Joshua Rogers, um, journalist, lives in Washington, D.C., uh, tells about the time when he was a law student at the University of Mississippi. He had heard about Laura Trependahl, who uh, uh, was out one night. Also, there were a group of students at a, at a local bar near the university. Uh, a group of them, eight of them got into a vehicle. The driver, within minutes, uh, sideswiped a car and then ran head-on with Laura killing her at the scene of the accident. That was on uh, February 7, 2003. Coco and David Trependahl received news that their 19-year-old daughter had been killed by a drunken driver. Laura, what was she doing? She was driving home from a Bible study. And Joshua talks about, uh, man, when that hit the, hit the fan, the news hit the fan, the town of Oxford just kind of, man, how terrible it was because Laura had an incredible reputation. She was uh, known to have an intense relationship uh, about her faith in Jesus Christ, and the loss of her life just kind of sent the community into a tailspin. But what rocked the community even more was a year later at the sentencing of the driver who had killed Laura. He had pled guilty to a DUI death and expressed deep remorse for his actions. He faced up to 10 years imprisonment, but the judge suspended nine of them, resulting in a one-year jail time. The leniency of the sentence just kind of took people's breath away, like, wow, what happened here? But the real shock came that the judge had read from the mom and dad of Laura. The letter read, we are Christians. Forgiveness is an integral part of our Christian faith. We have asked Christ, and he has enabled us to fully forgive the driver and the other young men involved in this tragedy. Therefore, from our own personal perspective, we have no need for, nor will we gain any satisfaction from seeing him further punished. Well, people, man, were what? They just wept when they heard that, amazed how the Trependals had pardoned the driver so freely and so completely. In a follow-up letter that David wrote to the local newspaper, revealed that he and Coco, his wife, had met with the driver face-to-face and expressed their forgiveness to him. This letter read in the newspaper, He is a fine young, young man who has been broken and humbled. He has come to the end of himself and feels completely helpless. In other words, I found him to be the kind of person that God can really use to accomplish mighty things. Wow. Well, Joshua Rogers reflected on that story, and it brought it back to memory when recently, as you and I have seen in the courthouse in Texas, October 5th, Brent Jean, sitting on the witness stand, listening to the sentencing of Amber Geiger, the woman who shot and killed his older brother. Jean, on the witness stand, had an opportunity to get revenge against Amber or 
On the flip side, he could follow the Trependal's example by forgiving Amber for killing his older brother. Gene said, if you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I forgive you, as he was looking at Amber. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want for you, he said. I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. Well, as you saw in the courtroom, people just started openly weeping and sobbing at this display of forgiveness given so freely. And then Brandt got permission from the judge to go and hug Geiger. And it was an embrace that was felt around the world as the two clung to each other and cried. The Trependals extended forgiveness. Brandt Jean extended it. You and I, this morning, we sit in the courtroom of life. And we have that same opportunity of seeking revenge against those individuals, those groups of people that have hurt us, taken advantage of us, or we can freely forgive them in a way that's honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Max Licato writes about what happened. Brant Jean is the victim's brother. He was given an opportunity to address Geiger in court. This was the moment of a tinderbox. However, Brandt refused to light the match. He did not wish any will upon Geiger. To the contrary, he wished nothing but the best and asked the presiding judge a stunning question. Holding back tears, this 18-year-old asked the judge, I don't know if this is possible, but can I go and give her a hug, please? The judge paused and then said yes. Good for Brandt. He sets an example for us. Forgiveness does not downplay the offense, excuse the misdeed, nor does it condone it. Forgiveness is simply the act of changing your attitude toward the offender. It's moving from a desire to harm toward an openness to be at peace. This teenager reminded us that while justice matters, forgiveness heals. He modeled the power of forgiveness. The judge then displayed the power of kindness as well. Tammy Kemp left the bench to retrieve one of her own personal Bibles and handed it to Geiger. She said, this is your job for the next month. It says right here in John 3.16, and this is where you start. And the judge went on to quote John 3.16 to Amber Geiger. Kind of reminds us of a story of a criminal hanging on a cross making a last-minute confession of faith to Jesus and asking the simple request, Remember me, Jesus. He didn't do anything to deserve a pardon, did he? And yet, in response to his deathbed conversion, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Where did it all start? Well, the criminal had been hanging on a cross next to Jesus, and the first words that Jesus spoke from the cross was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus modeled for you and for me the way we can respond when bad things happen to us. We can forgive. The Trependals did it. 
Brand Jean did it. There's somebody else in the Bible who did it that we're going to look at this morning. And hopefully by the end of our time together this morning, if you have a face that you see right now, that you're seeking revenge, that you are holding unforgiveness against, you are bitter, you are angry, Jesus comes face to face with you and says, here's an opportunity to forgive. And so there we have it. We're going to take a look in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And when we look at this particular story about uh, Joseph and his brothers, you kind of wonder at times, you look at the first couple in the Bible, Adam and Eve, you would think maybe they would hold the majority of pages in that first book, but no, no. How about Noah? With the flood, the ark, you'd say, man, maybe he should hold the majority of those pages. No, it wasn't him. How about Abraham, the father of Israel? And you would say, for sure, man, the father of this nation, he should get all the space in the first book of the Bible. Not the case. Actually, it's Joseph, the man that we're going to be talking about in a few moments. Chapters 37 through 50, man, he holds a monopoly. Why? Because he is a true model for you and for me on how we can learn to forgive when bad things happen to us. And so let's go to the chapter 45, Genesis 45, and let's, uh, let's pick it up there. gives us a little background into what we're going to be talking about. So, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, he had been in and out of prison twice. Uh, um, his brothers come. Uh, there's a famine. Joseph hasn't seen his brothers in a long time. And this is where it picks up, verse 3. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. It, so it was God who sent me here. Do you think he's trying to get a point across to his brothers? Huh? Yeah. It was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of this entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Wow. Wow. Let's talk to the Lord before we jump in here. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this example that has been preserved in your word to encourage each one of us in this room this morning that forgiveness is the best way. It's honoring to you, God, because you forgave. Jesus modeled it from the cross. 
He extends grace and forgiveness to each of us in this room consistently. And so, Lord, we recognize that life can be brutal. People take advantage of us. We get overlooked. We get bypassed. We, we get taken advantage of. We get hurt. But, Lord, we thank you that you encourage us in those situations not to be angry or bitter, but to forgive. Lord, we put our lives on the table. We put our hearts on the table this morning because we know that there are hurting people in this room, people that are dealing with unforgiveness. So help us to be transparent with you as you speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Every single one of us, I mean, if we, if we took a poll today, every one of us could come up with a list, a litany of things of when and where we've been hurt. Where people maybe were out to destroy us or they were out to hurt us. They took advantage of us. I'm grateful that God has not left us to fend for ourselves, to have a red wagon behind our lives that we carry with us, accumulating all the hurts and pains that have been thrown at us over our lifetime. Instead, Jesus is encouraging us this morning to be able to look at those situations and say, God, as we saw here, brothers, you may, have, you, have made, you may have sold me into slavery and you may think you were behind this move, but I want to tell you something. God has used it for good. God has used it for good. And with that list that's floating through your head right now, on all of those individual situations where people hurt you, took advantage of you, abandoned you, you could say, Lord, you are good. And I'm trusting you this morning for all those negative and brutal things that have happened to me. I'm trusting you that was what was meant to destroy me, you're going to use it as a building block to make me a better person. Yeah. And that's exactly what Joseph did. And that's why we could look at him in Genesis 50, verse 20. It's kind of our, our theme verse for this morning. Joseph telling his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. <laughs> all for good. And... That's great news. That, that can be a simple prayer for all of us this morning, man. And life has a way of beating us up. It does. You've seen it in relationships that you have, people you've known. They're not the same that they were five years ago, a year and a half ago. Why? Because... Life has beat them up and they've become hardened. They've become calloused. They've become cynical. Yeah. But you want to know something? God doesn't want that to happen to you. 
Our man Joseph went through a lot in his life. And every single day of his life, he had a choice to make. He could become bitter and angry. And he could plan how to get revenge on his brothers. But instead, he released it all to God and say, God, you are so big and you are so great. I am trusting you to use this material that was out to destroy me to make me into a better man. I think all of us could say, Lord, do that in my life as well. Because holding on to bitterness and anger, it's not doing me any good. How's your blood pressure doing? Hmm? Can you sleep at night? Because, man, when you're thinking about all that bad stuff, it, it is out to destroy you. And that's what Joseph learned as a, as a young man. He needed to let it go and put it in God's hand. So, number one in your notes, Joe's past. Joe's past. We're going to pick it up in Genesis 37, verse 26. Judah, it's one of Joseph's brothers, said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brothers? So they, they had thrown... Joseph into a cistern, they, they were going to just leave him there, let him rot. And Judah was thinking about it. He said, you know what, maybe, maybe we shouldn't leave him in the cistern. We, we can see these traders are coming down the road and, you know, we can make a little extra money and, and then we won't have this, this guilt of murdering our brother on our minds. We can, we can get past that. So he's having a conversation and he's saying we had to, would have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. They took a vote. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by Joseph's brothers, pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. So, Joseph had dreams as a, as a teenager about how you know, he was going to be bowed down to. And, and uh, unfortunately, he was his dad's favorite. And his dad wasn't very wise in raising Joseph. And his brothers became jealous. And so they took this opportunity to, to get rid of him, get him out of the home. They let envy, jealousy push him to this point. And so we see in Genesis 37, they actually come up with this plan to get rid of him, and he ends up in Egypt as a slave and sold to Potiphar as a slave. While Joseph was working for Potiphar, his, Potiphar's wife accused him of attempted rape, and so he got thrown back in, you know, into prison. And he was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. So he's in jail for two years here. It appears he's at a dead end in Genesis 41. He's been betrayed, sold as a slave twice, falsely accused, thrown into prison. And he has a relationship with one of the dudes, and he says, hey, when you get out, uh, tell Pharaoh about me. You know, I, I think God's got some good things going on in Egypt. And, and the guy says, yeah, I'll remember you. But he, he did not remember. He forgot him. So it's like Joseph's at a dead end, man. When you're in prison, some of you are there right now. You get locked up with your past and you can't move on. 
And Joseph, while he was in prison, he could have very easily taken the dark way of life to think, when I, ever, when I get out of here, this is what I'm going to do to my brothers who sold me into slavery. I'm going to get back. But what was it? What was it? Wherever Joseph went, whenever, whenever there were bad things that were thrown at him, he didn't allow him to knock him down to where he had to get it back up again. It's like he used it as fuel to keep his eyes on God. That God, you are big enough to handle all of this bad stuff that's getting thrown at me. Life is not fair. But God, I'm trusting you to take all of this assault against me to use it for your good and my good as well. Yeah. And so, while Joseph's in prison, he's, he's thinking, God, you are so good. You have been so good to me. How can he do that? Joseph's past was out to destroy him. And Joseph made a, a daily decision to let the past go and to keep his eyes on, on the Lord. And so, Michael McCullough puts it this way, when we allow ourselves to feel like victims or sit around dreaming up how to retaliate against people who have hurt us, these thought patterns take a toll on our minds and bodies. I would have to say that Joseph probably flirted with the idea of getting revenge on his brothers one day, but he, he realized what it was doing to his insides that it was crippling him in his relationship with God. It was getting in the way. I remember I was at camp as a high school student and our counselor, we were off by ourselves during devotions, and he said to each one of us, what is the one thing that's preventing you from growing in your relationship with Christ? And I submit that to you this morning. What is the one thing that is crippling you in your relationship with Jesus Christ this morning? Because Joseph, while he was in prison, he had those opportunities to go to the dark side of life, to get even, to get revenge. But instead, he realized it was crippling him, and he chose to forgive and to release the past to God. Number two, to forgive, I need to take my place before God. This is what Joseph did. In Genesis 50, verse 19, Joseph replied, as his brothers came to him, they were kind of in panic mode because Jacob, their father, had died. And as long as the father was alive, they figured he would be the mediator between them and Joseph. And they realized they had a family meeting without Joseph, and they said, Joseph's going to get us. Because <laughs> that's human nature. We think, we think people can't forgive. We do something bad in life, and it's so contrary to human nature. It's, it's why these courtrooms that we were talking about, man, Brant Jean forgiving the woman that killed his brother? That doesn't make sense. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, it does. And so Joseph, verse 19, 
don't be afraid of me. He, he could see it on his brother's faces. They, they were living in fear of retaliation from their brother. Don't be afraid of me and my God that I can punish you. See? What Joseph was saying, I'm not going to take God's place. I'm trusting God to take care of my life. God is big enough to see what's going on in and through me, and I'm trusting him for today and for my future as well. So I am not going to play God. And some of you this morning, you like to do that, don't you? God's not big enough to take care of business in your life. So you take God's place and you manipulate and you strategize on how you can get even. Well, that's not what Joseph did. Number subpoint number one, allow God to be judged. Romans 12, 19, Paul writing, Never take revenge. So some of you today, you're thinking, man, I can hardly wait to get even. Ah, that'll feel so good. Well, Paul's saying, hey, hey, never do that. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. In other words, yes, God is love. God is a God of love, but God is also a God of justice. He is. And there's going to be a courtroom one day when he sits on the throne and every single human being will stand before him. You choose to put your faith and trust in him now your name is written in the book of life, and you'll enter into heaven to be with the Lord forever. If you choose not to put your faith in Christ, you've said, God, I don't, I don't want to live for you while I'm on the earth. And so God says, okay, I'll give you what you want, and I'll give you hell, because I'm not going to be in hell. You didn't want to live for me while you were alive on earth. I will give you what you wanted while you were alive, and that is hell. That's God's presence being absent forever. And so Joseph realized that God's big enough to be the greatest judge, capital J, and he is a God of justice. And he saw everything that went on in Joseph's life, and Joseph said, I'm good with that. And so we need to allow God to be judged. We should not try to compete with God and be God to take care of those people that have hurt you and me. So one reason Joseph forgave his brothers is he always remembered that he had no claim against God. He allowed God to judge his brothers and himself. That's a good place for you and I to be as well. Let's not play God. Let's not be judge. Let's say, God, you created me, and I'm trusting you to be big enough to take care of my life. Number two, stay humble under God. Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, Joseph says to his brothers. You were out to get me. You were out to destroy me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Once again, 
Joseph realized that God was big enough to handle everything that was thrown against him. And so he humbled himself under God. God is the authority. I humble myself before him, and I'm trusting him to work out every detail in my life. Ephesians 1.11b puts it this way. Paul writes, he makes everything work out according to his plan. God makes everything work out according to his plan. And so Joseph realized his brothers had a dark side and they wanted to eliminate him from their family. But he's saying, wait, wait, wait. God intended it all for good. And I'm good with that. How about you? The bad stuff that's happened in your life, are you good with that? That you can trust God to make good come out of it? I'm telling you, that's a great place to be. And so, all through history, we've realized that bad things have happened to godly people. Missionaries have been slaughtered on the mission field when they've been presenting the gospel to people they've been trying to tell about Jesus. Um, Good men and women in in, in ministry have been um, verbally assaulted. And faithful spouses have been devastated by their spouses leaving them for somebody else. And innocent children have been abused by a parent that they've entrusted to their care. And we can go on and on. In fact, the Bible doesn't hide this either. John the Baptist, the, the, the man who set the course for Jesus, there's someone coming behind me who's greater than me. He was beheaded. The apostle James was killed by King Herod in prison. And you look at Hebrews 11. Look at this example. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. And their backs were cut open with the whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Others destitute, oppressed, mistreated. Others hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. So how many of you would sign up for being sawed in half? Man, that's something I'm looking forward to. Being jeered at and being mocked. and Godly people dying for their faith. It's happening today all across the world as well. So don't think when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's a holy bubble around you that that prevents bad things from happening to you. We live in a broken world. We live in a sin-filled world. Hurting people hurt people. And I think we would all say there's a lot of hurting people in our world today. But here's the deal. When all the stuff hit the fan in Joseph's life, he realized one thing, and that was God was with him. And he would allow God to make good come out of it. That's what God wants to do in each one of our lives as well. And we have to stay humble 
So we'll allow God to do that. Number three, believe God is good. We kind of hit this earlier, Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose um, for them. And that kind of parallels that verse that Joseph says in Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. We live in a broken world, and sometimes people kind of, you know, two weeks ago we talked about spiritual warfare and putting on that spiritual armor that God gives to us in Ephesians 6, that we need to sleep in that armor. Because in our minds, we have choices consistently in how we respond to bad situations. Satan loves to come and undermine the, the credibility of God, the goodness of God, the, the, the character of God. That you know, He did the same thing with Eve in the garden. You know, God isn't fair. He's not allowing you to eat that fruit. And you feel like God is cheating you out of something. And, and when bad things happen to us, we think God's, He doesn't care. He doesn't love. He's absent. He's far away. He doesn't love me anymore. That's all, that's, those are all lies. Joseph was able to get past that. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, her husband Jim, they were missionaries to the Aka Indians. Jim was martyred along with his friends, colleagues, when they were trying to present the gospel to this village. What was interesting was after these men had been martyred, their widows and the children went back into that village later on. And eventually the, the leaders of that village and many of, the, of that community put their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, Jim was martyred. And over time, Elizabeth remarried. And her second husband died from cancer. And this is what she writes. The experiences of my life are not such that I can infer from them that God is good gracious and merciful necessarily, to have had one husband murdered and another one disintegrate from cancer is not what you would call a proof of the love of God. In fact, there are many times when it looks like just the opposite. My belief in the love of God is not by inference or instinct. It is by faith. Elizabeth Elliot is mature in her walk with God. And she's saying, life can beat you up and spit you out. But because I have faith in my God, He is the reason why I'm able to get through all of the bad stuff that's been hitting me. And so we have the opportunity this morning by faith to say, God, you are good. You are good because you allowed your son Jesus to die for my sin. He took my place. That's proof enough that God is good. Number three, reasons we don't forgive. Maybe you can identify with some of these as we walk through them. Uh, the hurt is too big, you know? Man, I've been hurt. It's so big, I'll never get over it. Um, 
Hebrews 12, 15 says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That's exactly what this author is talking about. Don't allow unforgiveness to destroy you. It's so easy to say the hurt is so big I could never forgive. Number two, time will heal it. Oh, really? You don't deal with it? You just turn the the page on your calendar to a new month and you're good to go? No, time will not heal it. You need to extend forgiveness. Number three, I'll forgive when they say I'm sorry. Have you uh, been down that road? They need to come and say I'm sorry, then I'll forgive them. Well, that's... I wouldn't count on that. I want to keep the teapot on just waiting for them to ring your doorbell and say, hey, I'm sorry. They're probably somewhere else right now impacting another person's life in a negative way and you are not on their mind. That's why you have to be proactive to forgive before they say they're sorry. God's putting you and me on an opportunity of a high road, taking the high road to forgive, holding no grudges. Number four, I can't forgive if I can't forget. How about you? Is that where you're at this morning? I can't forgive if I can't forget. Forgiveness means you will let God heal it no matter what. That's what forgiveness means. God can bring you to a place where that doesn't hurt you anymore. He can bring you to that place. When that person's picture, or you run into them on the street, where you years ago you would try to avoid them, but now you can look them in the eye and say hello. Why? Because God's done a work in your life. Number five, if I forgive, they will hurt me again. Well, that's possible. But that doesn't give you the freedom to say, I'm not going to forgive you because you're going to hurt me again. You need to forgive and let it go. 2 Thessalonians 1.6, in his justice, God will pay back those who persecute you. Romans 12.19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is big enough to take care of that? In your life, for you, yeah. Let God do his thing. Don't don't become God in those situations that you deal with. Number four, to forgive, we need to have God's attitude. That's what Joseph learned over time. In order for him to keep his balance spiritually, he needed to have God's attitude with his brothers. When somebody wrongs you, it's easy to become proud and arrogant I'm better than they are. You know, I never did to anybody else what they did to me. You kind of get, you know, snooty about it. Yeah, yeah. That's not God's attitude. We see that Joseph always seemed to come across with a humble spirit, which led him to some point, number one, don't repay evil. Don't do it. Don't repay evil. Don't do it. Genesis 50, verse 19, Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. I am I God that I can punish you. Joseph reassured his brothers 
he wasn't going to play God. I'm not going to do it. There's, he was good with forgiveness. Number two, don't keep score. Genesis 41, 51, Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph didn't keep a scorecard. He didn't pack it in his back pocket when he was in prison, nor did he keep it with him hanging on the wall in his refrigerator as a reminder of all the bad stuff his brothers did to him. Joseph didn't say, you guys owe me big time, so, so now that dad's gone, you need to pay up. Go, Joseph did not go down that score. And sometimes Christians are pretty good at keeping scorecards, you know? We keep, we keep track of it every time our spouse does something wrong when they hurt us. We are able to stay in power because we keep score, you know? doesn't matter if the person sought forgiveness, you know? It's like a cow chewing the cud. You just keep on meditating on it over and over again. Keep bringing it up. If Joseph were here today, he would say, throw away the scorecard. Get rid of it. Forgive. Let it go. What's good here in Genesis 41, verse 50, during this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife. Verse 51, Joseph named his older son Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my family, father's family. That doesn't mean he eliminated them from his memory banks, but instead of allowing the past to haunt him, to destroy him, he's saying, I'm letting it go. And Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. So Manasseh must come before Ephraim. Yeah. We need to allow God to heal us as we forgive. And when we allow God to empower us to forgive those that have hurt us, guess what? God steps in and then he blesses us. Yeah, that's what he does. And that's what Joseph recognized. The second child named Ephraim means fruitful, super fruitful. And Joseph was able to recognize, man, God has allowed me to forgive my brothers. And because of that, he has blessed me. That's what God wants to do, man. He wants to bless you and me. Number three, don't use the I was right card. <laughs> I was right. Genesis 50, verse 18, his brothers came and they threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves. Man, Joseph could have looked down on them and said, hey guys, remember those dreams and visions I had? Well, it's happening right now. You're bowing down before me. I was right and you were wrong. Take that! Huh! No, didn't do that. Hey guys, remember my dreams? I was right, you were wrong. We love to do that, don't we? I was right. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Number four, speak the truth in love. Genesis 50, verse 15. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. Verse 17. They got together and they, they wrote this little letter that their father supposedly wrote, which he didn't. 
This is the letter they're reading. Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Why did he weep? He wept because he realized his brothers did not recognize that he had forgiven them. It was a true picture of forgiveness. They were waiting for revenge. They were waiting for the hammer to fall. Now that dad was gone, Joseph's brothers didn't come and say, if we wronged you somehow, we're sorry. No, they did acknowledge that they had sinned against Joseph. They were being honest. And Joseph, you know, he doesn't bury, ah, guys, there was no problem. You're my brothers. Brothers are supposed to hurt each other. No, he didn't go down that road either. He says in verse 20, you intended to harm me. I agree with that. Yeah, you did. I acknowledge that. But he didn't stop there. He said, God intended it all for good. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah I know what you tried to do. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't right. But God used it. Let God use it in your life as well. Verse 21, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Number five, forgiveness has no limits. Forgiveness has no limits. Matthew 18, so we're, we're leaving Joseph in Egypt, and now we're going to Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus had been teaching about forgiveness. And Peter kind of was in a situation, and he thought, you know, I, I'm, this, this dude's kind of getting under my skin, and I, I know I should forgive him, but he was kind of pushing the envelope. In, in uh, Matthew 18, 21, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Peter's kind of patting himself on the back because the rabbi said three is good. And then you don't have to, you don't have to forgive after three. And so Peter, he's kind, of, he's kind of loading up the envelope, man, seven times. Man, this, Jesus will be really impressed with me, you know. Rabbi's three, I'm seven. Whew, baby, I'm good to go. Jesus says, no, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 490 times. So is Jesus telling Peter, keep a scorecard, you know, and when it's 489 times, man, you're getting close to where you don't have to forgive him anymore. No. What Jesus is saying is forgiveness has no limits. It has no limits. Don't pat yourself on the back because you think you're so spiritual when it comes to forgiveness. Jesus is saying you have freely been forgiven. Now you need to freely forgive. Extend that grace. Extend that forgiveness. Because revenge, that you're going to get even, doesn't work. Resentment, I'm going to stay angry, that doesn't work. Remembering, I'll never forget, hey, that doesn't work. Jesus is speaking to you and to me. He's looking back at the life of Joseph. Joseph freely forgave his brothers. And in the world that you and I live in, man, we are getting hurt all the time. Don't keep score. Forgiveness has no limits.
April 9th, 1960, Adolf Kors III was kidnapped. He was held for ransom. Seven months later, they found his body in a remote hillside. He had been shot to death. His 15-year-old son lost a father and his best friend. And understandably, you would, understand, you, know, you would say, yeah, man, this younger, this boy, this 15-year-old, man, he, he deserves to be angry and bitter at Joseph Corbett, the man who was sentenced to life for killing his dad. Yeah, he has every right to be angry. He has every right to get revenge against the killer of his father. Well, in 1975, 15 years later, Adolf Kors is now 30 years old, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He divested himself of the interest in the family beer business, but he could not divest himself of the bitterness he held against Joseph Corbett. Couldn't do it. Resentment continued to to eat away at him. He asked God for help, and he he realized that this hatred that he had for Joseph Corbett was affecting his own relationship with the Lord. So finally, God had helped Adolf, and he went to the maximum security prison and tried to talk with, with Corbett, and Corbett would not see him. And so Kors left the Bible where he wrote a note on the inside of it with this message, I'm here to see you today, and I'm sorry that we could not meet as a Christian I am summoned by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to forgive. I do forgive you, and I ask you to forgive me for the hatred I've held in my heart for you. And sometime later, Adolf Kors testified that he had developed a love for that man that only Jesus Christ could have put in his heart. Is that how it's working for you? That's what worked for Joseph. That's what worked for Adolf Kors. That's what works for followers of Jesus Christ who say, God is good. You are throwing stuff at me to destroy me, but I'm going to allow God to use it as building material in my life. God is good, and I'm trusting him to do good in my life. How about you this morning? Who do you need to forgive? Who's the person or people that have hurt you that you've held on to unforgiveness and bitterness? Looking forward to that day when you can get full revenge. Learn from the life of Joseph. Those people have meant to harm you, to destroy you, but you can say, Lord, I'm forgiving them, and you're going to turn it into good for your honor and glory. Father, we thank you this morning. For this life message that Joseph modeled for us, this is the real world, man. This is the world that we're living in. Hurting people hurt people. Bad things happen to good people. And God, as Joseph reflected on his life and he had every opportunity to destroy his brothers, he chose instead to forgive them.
because he recognized God that you had forgiven him. And I pray for each person in this room this morning, Lord, if there's a face that stands before us right now that we've held unforgiveness, that we've been looking forward to get revenge against them, Lord, forgive us for not forgiving. And as Adolf Kors relied on you to forgive the man who killed his father, When we think about Brant Jean, who was able to forgive Amber Geiger because, for killing his older brother. For David and Coco Trependal, who forgave the man who killed their daughter. Lord, these are pictures of what a follower of Christ looks like. So we need your help this morning. We need your help. to forgive. Forgive us so we can forgive. In Jesus' name. baptismal the spirit of God has been speaking and I just want to challenge you to take care of business don't leave this morning with unforgiveness haunting you allow the power of God to be demonstrated in your life in forgiving those that have hurt you. Let it happen. Because through it all, God gets the honor when you model that. Just like it happened in that courtroom in Dallas a few weeks ago. In Jesus' name, let it happen.